0: Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah, uh, Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, that he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and named him his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. When Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Jacob. Let's pray. Father God, we need, every time we open your word, we need you. We need your grace. Lord, we need your spirit to help us understand your mind. As Corinthians remind us that we can understand the mind of God without the spirit of God. Lord, you have removed the veil from our lives. We can see our gravity and we can see your holiness. Help us see these truths in your word over and over again. When we see Christ in every page we turn to, whether we think of a genealogy or a sacrificial system or the law, or Lord, a clearer passage on his death and resurrection, Lord, we seek him as the only means of walking with you, as the only means of salvation, as the only means to flee from death. Father, I pray for humility as we unpack your word. I pray for a right heart before you, which is only found in Christ. And I pray that we will be delighted to study your work. A word that may be not so clear. Passages that may not give us instant instant uh, help, instant delight. But Lord, as we unpack your inspired word, there is always truth to behold. And something to humble us, something to exalt yourself, or a reminder that we are in Christ. Let this be the case this morning, Jesus. Amen. We've seen last week the first... Son of Adam and Eve walk in the ways of the serpent, as he imitates the serpent, as Jesus called him, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And Cain, Adam and Eve's son, imitates the serpent in his murderous ways of killing his brother Abel, in his lying towards God, the pride of life, after building a city after his own son. And what and in the end, all we see of his lying. Although good things, inventions of music and arts, the development of the agricultural system. His line comes to an end after seven generations, meaning a totality or the sum of his existence. It comes to an end in an abrupt halt where it shows us this image of at best a drunken man wielding a sword, abusing his wives, taking revenge without mercy and blaspheming God. Lamech, seven generations after Cain. We see clearly that phrase that God said to Cain himself, sin is crouching at your door, its desire is to have you. Very clearly evident in the line of Cain. As sin crouches at the door of not only Cain, but his son and his son's sons and so forth, to the point where we get to Lamech, who uses the good gifts of God, the inventions of music and arts and agriculture to boast and brag about his sin and blaspheme God. The story of Cain is bleak. The story of Cain reminds us that sin is crouching at the door of all of our lives to mean that a lion, like an animal, is looking to devour us. And, of course, the evidence is there that not Cain could control it, nor his sons, nor his sons' sons could control this devouring force that was upon them. Cain's story leaves us with a bleak image if we stop at Lamech. But God doesn't stop there. In fact, he goes back to Adam and Eve in verse 24 and 25 of chapter 4. So 25 and 26 of chapter 4. And he goes back to Adam and Eve and it says that Adam and Eve bore a new son in his likeness, his name is Seth. And Seth bore a son whose name was Enosh. And Enosh in his time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. What we see so clearly is that God will have a people for himself. In all of human history, there is a remnant that will worship God. Cain's mind may have been bleak and show off the depravity of human nature. It may have been horrendous to see a man drunk with rage, drunk with his sword, abusing his wife, blaspheming God, but that is not the sum of human history. That is not the end of God's plan, for God will put his law into people's hearts. In the time of Enoch, The new line, the line that will head to the offspring, we see they turn and call upon the name of the Lord. Genealogies are important. Our family tree seems important to us at times to look back and wonder how we ended up the way we did, why we are here, why I have the characteristics I have. And when we come to the genealogies in Scripture, we can be quite confused as to what's going on, but they are primarily there to connect us from one story to the next. This genealogy is going to take us from Adam to Noah. And in taking us from Adam to Noah, we go from the garden to a world that's in great depravity to a judgment that is going to happen. But that is not the sum of this this, uh, genealogy. This genealogy actually takes us further than Noah. Noah is just a foreshadow of the seed of the woman, the one who will bruise the serpent's head. Now, we see 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and this is the pattern that will follow for most genealogies throughout the rest of Scripture. They'll come in blocks of 10, and be either 10 or 20 or 30, and we can go from there. Now, many would say that there are open and closed genealogies in the Scripture. An open genealogy means that we aren't seeing in complete detail. We're leaving out some generations, they weren't an important part of the story, they didn't contribute much to. Uh, what it means to be in the line of Christ so they leave them out. And others would say that the numbers aren't literal numbers. They're there as a reference to some figurative imagery or something like that. Their support for an open genealogy comes from a modern teaching to push against evolutionists. Uh, sorry, sorry, to include to... Uh, to validate the Bible for evolutionists, a lot of people feel that the Earth should be older than what the Bible says it is. So we have gone to interpret the Bible, and we start to say, "Well, these genealogies aren't exactly real; they're figurative. They're about pointing us to Christ, so they're open. They're there to be—they're there to be uh, used as a metaphor rather than something that's absolutely literal." My attitude. And my experience of the scripture is the more you start to take this figurative, the more you will find to take this figurative. The more you try to add metaphors to the pictures of scripture, whether it be the flood or the creation story, is the more you will find more metaphors that you can have to the point where do you even believe in Christ crucified and Christ resurrected, Or is that a metaphor? We have to be careful in studying the scriptures as to why we argue the way we argue. Are we arguing against evolutionists? the new modern theory, and trying to make the Bible fit within evolution, or are we standing upon the Word of God as the ultimate authority? I believe that this genealogy is a literal genealogy. That means it's closed. It is how it is. These 10 generations led to Noah, and the rest of them will lead to Christ. These numbers are literal numbers. Man was meant to live forever. Man was meant to abide in God forever forever. Yet they sinned and God promised that death would surely come to man. And as we see this chain reaction, life life gets shorter for man and God puts a cap on it at 120 years. Later, we see in the Psalms 80 or 9. The sinfulness of mankind meant that our lives were shortened. So why is it, wouldn't it make sense that when we were closer to the Garden of Eden, closer to life with God, life was longer? Depravity was a spiral out of control. A process of becoming more depraved and the more depraved we got as we saw in came, he moved east of the garden he went further from God therefore life becomes shorter and shorter I think the greatest evidence we have is the old school teaching and most of the older teaching when you were a Jew of the Old Testament the Pharisees of the New, the New Testament would confirm that these genealogies particularly this one in chapter 5 was a closed, uh, a closed genealogy and had no Means of being figurative, figurative. It was literal. Numbers literal. The people were literal, and they were there to point us to Christ. When we come to a genealogy, we need to remember that all Scripture is God breathed; it has a purpose. As Timothy points out, as Paul points out to Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, directing, and encouraging uh, in all of life. I like what Matthew Henry writes about this. He says, all scripture being given by the inspiration of God is profitable, though not all alike profitable. It's a helpful statement to make. Not all bits of scripture are going to be equally profitable for us.
1: We're not going to get the same out of the book of Numbers as we probably
0: would the book of Ephesians. That's just the reality of the way it's written. Some parts are written as history and some parts are written as the instruction for life. In saying that, it's still inspired by God. So why is it in Scripture? And that's what we should be asking each time we get to a genealogy. Why are these names mentioned and how do they point to Christ? It's not about the names that are on the paper. It's about how they point to Christ. So let's unpack. We're going to work through the verses that have something different to say because we see quite a pattern in what is said here. The pattern that is seen is a a name. When Seth had lived, he lived a certain amount of time, five hundred and five years. He fathered a new name, and then he lived a certain amount of years and had other sons and daughters. This is the pattern we'll see, except for a few uh, exceptions throughout. We're going to look at the exceptions. Why does it say that Enoch walked with God and was taken? Why does it say about being created in the image of God? These exceptions. So starting in verse 1, it says, this is the book of the generation of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them man when they were created.
1: We're first drawn back
0: to Genesis 2.4, when God... Uh, when Genesis 2.4 was when we transitioned from the creating of the whole world after Genesis 1. We've had Genesis 1, which is the creation of the six days, and then the start of Genesis 2 is the Sabbath rest or God resting. And then we see Genesis 2.4, the start, the creation of the garden. And it says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. We've transitioned from the creation of the whole world to a specific creation of Eden, the garden. It's a personal, intimate creation which will be God's dwelling place. This was a transitioning statement to say we've gone from big scale to a smaller place, an intimate place to think about. The generations of Adam is we're going to move from Adam some maybe 1,600 years, some people believe, 1,600 years to Noah, to separate us from a significant time period. And the first reference after the generations of Adam is a, is a reflection on the first poem that was written in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 27, so God's, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is an important reminder in this genealogy. We've just had a genealogy of depravity. The progressive, the spiraling progressive of man's depravity in Cain now we see God affirm his creation identity of man and woman. This is incredibly important for us to understand. We've just seen sin go out of control in the line of man, and God is going to come back to Adam, his first man, his first creation, and remind him of who he is to be. You are created in the image of God. Man was created in the image of God. Woman was created in the image of God, and he blessed them. It's a reminder of the blessing that God put on male and female. This is to confirm that our creation mandate still sins today even though sin is entered the world. We don't throw out Genesis 1 and 2 and say it doesn't matter anymore. We're sinful beings. Let's just do whatever we want and live however we want. God is saying you're still my image bearers. You're still my representatives. You're still created in my likeness. You can still have intimate relationship with me, experience me intimately. And you will be that in this world. That is our responsibility to reflect to the world God's likeness, God's image, confirmed in chapter five as He goes to separate us, to to take us to a new man in Noah. It's a reminder that we are in. We, no matter what goes on in our life, the greatest problem we have is that we're not doing what we were created for. We were created to worship God. Anything outside of that is idolatry. And this is the confirmation of that. Sin may have entered in the world, sin is crouching at your door, it's desirous to have you. You cannot rule over it. We've seen that in our Cain's line. You don't have strength to rule over it. So you must have faith in God who can or in our case, faith in the resurrected Christ who has. We move on into verse 3, and it tells us this pattern. When Adam had lived 135 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Adam died, as God promised he would if he ate of the tree. That is confirmed here in Scripture, that if we eat of this tree, if we turn from God, if we live in our own time, death will consume us. And Adam died. And Eve, although it doesn't say it, would have died as well. And as we follow this pattern, we see here an exception because it states, first of all, that Seth was born or well, with Adam had a son in his own likeness after his image, and he named him Seth. The major emphasis we see here, firstly, is that the image of God continues. Adam and Eve were not the last and only ones to be made in the image of God and likeness of God, but Adam passes that down to all mankind. We see later on in Genesis uh, 9-6 the warning to Noah about murder. Whoever shed the blood of man, why man shall his blood be shed? For God made man in his own image. We see it later confirmed again in the Psalms. Man is made in God's image. Man and woman, male and female, are all made in God's image, and it's passed down from Adam to the generations. So when when it says here and states that Seth was in the likeness of Adam, he first of all is in the likeness of God. He carries God's... Characteristics. He can know God and have intimacy with, with God. He can hear God's word. The second point that it's making is that the depravity of sin is passed along as well. Adam turned from God. Adam rebelled from God, and therefore sin reigns in his heart. Now sin reigns in the heart of all mankind. Romans six clearly states this. Sorry, Romans five clearly states this: that by one man, one man's sin, therefore all have sinned. Christians, uh, people, we call this. Sorry, we call this the doctrine of original sin. That's why David himself says that he was he was sinful from the time his mother conceived him. He believed in original sin. He believed that he inherited Adam's sin, the sin of his father, the sin of his forefather. That is the case for all mankind. We were all made in the image of God. We were all made in the image of Adam. Therefore, we are both. A blurry, muddy reflection of God by the sin that reigns in our heart. It's as if we're looking in a brass mirror. We can make out a reflection, but not quite sure what it is. One commentator writes, writes this about being made in the image of Adam. Adam was made in the image of God when he had fallen. When he was fallen and corrupt, he was got a son. We a son in his own likeness, sinful and defiled, frail and mortal, and miserable like himself. Not only a man like himself, consisting of body and soul, but a sinner like himself, guilty and obnoxious, degenerate and corrupt. Even the man after God's own heart himself himself confesses that he was conceived in sin. Speaking of David, as we mentioned, if we want more evidence of this, Paul writes himself in Romans 7, 18, 19, that there are two things at play in his life, both his image of God and the image of the flesh and the depravity of the flesh. And he says, for I, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. It's the reminder, the tension that we have. We are created to image Christ, to image God. We are created to reflect him, to know him, to represent him. Yet we have the image of Adam running in our veins and in our heart and mind. We are corrupt of mind and have rebelled against him as Adam had rebelled against him. We're going to skip down to chapter 18 and we skip over some names which we'll get to in a moment. uh, Chapter 18, verse 18, when it says, When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch, father, uh, Enoch walked with God after he father Methuselah Mith- Mith- 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 165 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, but God took him. As we skip through the names that are on this list, as we think about those, Seth, Enoch, Kenan Mahalalel, Jared, as we skip over them and not mention much of them, it's a great reminder That our life is frail and short. It's a great reminder of the cry of the Psalms that says, Help me number my days. Our life is going to come to an end. And in a moment, after we've looked at Enoch, we see the great comparison that everyone else died. This phrase that rings throughout the whole genealogies except for Enoch is, And he died. Our life, because of sin, is coming to an end. Hours a lot quicker than some of these men who lived close to a millennium. But we see it was not about these men that were to be mentioned. Their life may have been something of great worth. Mahallah means praise to God. It's a name that's taken from the word hallelujah. That's a great name to have. A praise of God. He must have been a man that that. Or he must have been a, a child of a man who loved God in some ways. But his life wasn't numbered among the ones who would be commented on. He's mentioned, briefly washed over, and he loves his son, and he dies. We must remember that life is short, but these names that are focused in on in the genealogy point us to a greater offspring. Every offspring that is named, Seth, Enoch, In, and Mahalala, are pointing us to a greater offspring a victorious offspring, the one who will bruise the head of the serpent, the one who will conquer sin and death. And, of course, when we start to look at Enoch here, we see very clearly that he is a foreshadow of the cross. Enoch stands in the genealogy among the generations as number seven. And last week we looked at the number of Scripture that means the total sum of totality, And it's clear that Enoch is a contrast on uh, Cain's son, Cain's descendant, Lamech. Lamech was number seven in the line. He uh, was the man who was in his drunken rage, blaspheme, bragged, using the good gifts of God to make himself sound great. And here here we see a contrast, the comparison put before us, Cain and Enoch, sorry, Lamech and Enoch, Lamech standing there bragging and boasting in God, and Enoch walking with God, and he does not die. Enoch, it says in verse 24, walked with God, which we like to use that term. It's a lovely term to say we walk with God, but only two people in Scripture are referred to as walking with God, Enoch and Noah. Others, like Abraham, are referred to as walking before God, and others even still are referred to as walking after God. But the phrase to say that they walk with God is about an intimacy in which they had to know God. This was a special circumstance for people like Enoch and Noah. Yet we walk in the same category as those men. Isn't that incredible to think? That because of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who died on the cross, who suffered the crucifixion, who defeats death and raises to life and sends us his Holy Spirit, today we have God the Spirit dwelling in us and we walk with God. Amen. We see so clearly that Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God, and this was a rare occurrence in those days. Enoch being the total son or this seventh number in the generation is there to put us in in a uh, put us in a picture of wickedness and righteousness and the difference between the two. Wickedness is those who walk away from God and use the good gifts of God for their own glory. Righteousness is those who walk with God. Those who walk with God by faith alone. It's important to remember that Enoch was not saved by walking with God. He was saved to walk walk with God. Just as we today are not saved by walking with God, we cannot. We are saved to walk with Him. We are saved by grace in Christ, faith alone in Christ alone. Hebrews 11 reminds us of this about Enoch's life, 5 and 6. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. But whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch had faith in God. His righteousness was by faith in God. It reminds us in 1 John 2.6 that whoever says he abides in him in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. The beauty is God sees us as having walked like Christ because Christ's righteousness has been given to those who have faith in him. We are labelled as righteous as Christ is righteous. By faith Enoch was taken up. Today the whole message of Scripture is clear that righteousness is by faith alone in Christ alone. Why was Enoch taken up? Because he had faith in the in Christ. He had faith in Jesus Christ. He knew that there would be a Savior for his sin. How did did Enoch's sins get atoned for? In Christ. He had faith in the coming work of Christ. We have faith in the accomplished work of Christ. As we think about what it means to walk, Matthew Henry writes: To walk with God is to set God. Always before us and to act as those that always that are always under his eye. It is to live a life of communion with God, both in ordinances and providences. It is to make God's word our rule and his glory our end in all our actions. It is to act, it is to, sorry, it is to make it our constant care and endeavor in everything to please God and nothing to offend him. It is to comply with his will, to concur with his design and to make workers together with him. It is to be followers of him as dear children. And this is only possible in abiding with Christ. In Enoch, we see this beautiful picture of Christ defeating death and going and conquering death and resurrecting and ascending to the Father. Enoch was not worthy to defeat death, Therefore, God showed us what it would be like for the righteous to live by faith and have an everlasting life with him by taking Enoch to be with him. The promise that Enoch has is ours. We walk as Enoch walked. We will live forever with God. Death will have no hold on us as it had no hold on Enoch because we stand in the victory of a better Enoch Christ. Enoch is referred to as being a prophet in the little book of Jude. And we see this through his son. In verse 25, it says, When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. This is a different Lamech from last week. This is in the line of Adam, uh, in the line of Seth and Enosh. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were. 169 years and he died, making him the oldest man in Scripture, if you're ever at some Bible trivia something. <laughs> just if you need it. But there is meaning to the number of the number of years that he lived, and there's meaning to his name. As I said, Jude makes it clear that Enoch is a prophet, and he prophesies words in Jude, but he also prophesies for the name of his son. Methuselah means sending forth the spear. His name speaks of a coming judgment, and his age ends in the year of the flood. Methuselah died the year the rains were fallen on the earth, as a symbol that the coming spear of judgment upon the wicked man was not to be was to be avoided by those who are righteous. Enoch's son, Enoch was taken up to be in heaven, and and Methuselah, his son, was spared from the coming wrath of God that would be poured upon the earth. The same is true for us Christians. We will enter into the heavenly places with God and will live forever. And when the wrath of God comes, in the end, when Jesus judges all people, we will be spared from that wrath. We will stand in the righteousness of Christ. What a great hope we have! We see this whole genealogy is leading to the reality of the wages of sin. And Romans six twenty three reminds us that the Romans, uh, the Romans, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. I have to pause these days when I read that because I don't feel the weight of it anymore. I have to meditate on. And just understand that the wages of sin is death. And this genealogy reminds us of that, as we pointed out in this little phrase, and he died. From Adam being the first image bearer of God all the way through to Noah, everyone but Enoch who points to Christ died because of sin, because they walked or inherited the way of their parents. And listen to the deceptiveness of Satan and believe the lie that they can live autonomously away from him, independently from God. They believe the lie that they could define good and evil for themselves and live a life that elevated themselves above God. We have a great reminder here that the punishment of sin continues forever. The punishment of sin will continue all the way through the generations to our death. We only see two men get taken up into heaven, Enoch and Elijah, the prophet, and later Jesus. But that points us to the hope that we have when we will defeat death in Christ's power and enter into his glory. But only for those who believe in Him. Because this passage continues to remind us about faith and the promise of salvation. Because although the judgment of the flood is coming and the wrath is coming upon this land of wicked men and women, there is hope. There is hope in the last descendant of this genealogy. When Lamech, verse 28, had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 775 years and he died. The genealogy ends with a hope, with a prophetic word from Noah's father that says, recalling the curse upon the ground that we will have rest from our labor and names his son a word that resembles rest or relief. Noah is the word that means rest or relief for us, for this generation. He recalls us to the curse upon the ground. Every day they dig upon the ground as they labor and sweat and for the beat of the sun, they are reminded that they once lived with God. And Lamech reflects on his son and knows, through insight from God, that this son will bring us relief, but not lasting relief. The relief that he brings upon the nation is death on the world. So, sorry, sorry. The relief that is brought upon the land is that all mankind, except for eight, will be wiped out. The relief that he brings is eternal rest. The son. The eternal rest is no rest at all but under the punishment of God. For others, those who have faith, those who walk like Enoch, those who put their trust in God, would be taken up from the grave and have their hope founded in Christ. What we need to remember about that Romans 6.23 is it doesn't end with the wages of sin's death. We can meditate on that and feel the weight of it, and we should, but it continues and says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a great tragedy with a great promise, a great pain and ways that we should fill with this great hope and victorious celebration that in Christ, and only in Christ, will there be eternal life. And as we look to Noah and we'll spend the next few, maybe a couple months on Noah's story, we see very clearly this image of Christ who will save us and deliver us from the wrath of God, which will be like a flood that will consume us and wipe us away. A just and worthy rock. As we look to next week and see that every inclination of a man's heart is evil. Every inclination of a man's heart is evil. That is the direct statement from God as he looks at the world. Yet he promises to have a remnant. He promises to save some and to spare them from from the flood. And we see that in the line of Adam and Seth and Eve Enosh as they call upon the Lord. And we see that in the promise of Noah as he preserves his family and puts them on the ark of salvation as they sweep over and float over the wrath of God, as we see it in the Passover as God reserves and protects the Israelites from the angel of death that was sweep through Egypt. And we see it ultimately in Christ. As he died a death he didn't deserve, as he walked more righteously, absolutely perfectly than Enoch. And was worthy to face death and not be held by it, but raise in victory and ascend to the Father in glory. Enoch couldn't face death for us, yet by faith God took him to be with Him. Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, who faced death and defeated for us, so that we could all be taken up to be with Him forever. As we think of the coming wrath, that the flood is not the final pouring out of God's wrath, but there will be one more and it reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 1:8 1, uh, 1, 8, 8 to 9 uh, 8 to 10 when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels inflaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know god and on those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus uh, of our lord jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his might When he comes on that day, he will glorify his saints and to be marvelled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you, to you was believed. It's a great warning that there will be a final judgment. There will not be a judgment like the flood. There will be a final judgment, a judgment that will separate the righteous from the wicked and the righteous, is revealed to us as those who believe in Christ Jesus, those who believe the testimony the apostles sent forth in Christ alone. This passage is one of hope for us, yet fear for the world. As we read it and reflect on the names here and reflect of being created in the image of God and being saved from the depravity and now being as Enoch 1 ...who walks with God and being as Enoch, as one who can be taken up from the grave as Christ was, and being like Noah, who floated over the wrath of God, we too will have the wrath of God consumed in Christ and not on ourselves. Yet for the world, they should stand in trembling and we should be bold and preach. Will we be like Noah and Enoch who stood for something... And through their lives, made a great witness to where this decaying world and a depraved world. Would God, in His graciousness, use us and our lives to be just names on their list who walk with God and made a witness in a wicked generation? Will we stand firm, Church, as we walk with God in Christ Jesus, knowing that we will escape death through Christ Jesus, and the floodwaters of God's wrath have be consumed in Christ Jesus? We have great victory in those promises. Mm Brother, thank you is not enough, enough to say. uh, We lack words, Lord, to come to you in our, our idolatries, with our blasphemous ways, and to be invited in, to know that. Because of your grace and because of Christ, you've given us access to yourself. We will enter into the holy of holies, but a better one, not the one made by human hands, but the real one where you dwell. Father, would this humble us? We could be just other children on the list of Cain's line who are devoured by sin and consumed by it as we once were. Yet, Lord, in your sovereign grace, you have chosen, ordained and claimed us in Christ. You're doing away with our sin as we speak, as we repent and walk with you, Lord, as the Spirit counsels and comforts and convicts us, Lord, we see you making us more like Christ. Thank you, Lord. We give you great praise for the victory that is won in Christ. We go forth to a dying world, to a decaying world. Warn them of the flood of your wrath that is to come. Maybe be laughed at as Noah was, be mocked as Christ was. The Lord will be faithful in warning, warning this corrupt generation of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The only hope of defeating the grave. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.